All right, everybody. Well, greetings and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, one of many, uh, Steve Fredland. And as always, joined by our panel today, we've got Jim Reed and Chris Jones. And thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino, and now Hotel, uh, opening in two days. Uh, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. And this is episode 171. And today we are excited because we're going to be talking with Brad Wilson, uh, who is the host of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, along with a bunch of other stuff, which I will let him fill you in on. A couple of just two really important announcements we want to get out there real quick. Uh, the Bar League and Home Game Communities have launched. Uh, incredible value, super low pricing until March 31st. Go to rec.poker to check that out. And also we have launched our programs for ambassadors, affiliates, champions, and friends. So feel free to just hit us up with any questions about any of that cool stuff going on. Uh, so with that, let's welcome in Brad Wilson. Brad, how are we doing? Doing well, man. How you doing? Real good. Now, we had a chance to chat not too long ago uh, on your podcast, which is super cool. You got some really cool things going on there. So tell us tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're living, what you're doing, what you're involved with. Introduce yourself to the Rec Poker Nation. Uh, so my name is Brad Wilson. <laughs> Hi, Brad. I play poker. Um, I've been a poker player for, I don't even know anymore. The the math, math is hard. I'm 36. I've, I've been doing it since I was 20. It's um, been my career, my passion. I love doing it. And uh, now I've got the podcast rolling, meeting a lot of amazing people in the poker world. It's fun times. Now, was this your first podcast or have you done podcasting before or how did this come about? I did another podcast that was not related to poker. I think that uh, as a professional, professional poker players understand that after... 10 to 15 years of being immersed in the game, what you want more than anything a lot of times is to get the hell out of the game. <laughs> um, it's very tough being a professional poker player and not having any certainty. Um, not only the variance of, am I going to win from session to session? Am I going to have a winning or losing month? But also the variance of, oh, is my poker site going to disappear overnight? Oh, is uh, what's going to happen on with regulation on a day-to-day -day basis? And uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm in a poker dead zone, um, which is not too fun, which is another reason like, yeah, let's, let's uh, create some valuable content for people, um, make some connections, and help people out on their poker journey, which is sort of the basis for Chasing Poker Greatness, my podcast. Yeah, the reason I ask that is you're, you're very polished. I mean, I've listened to your podcast. It's fantastic. It just seems like here's a dude who knows what he's doing. So I figure there must be some side of a, some sort of a history there of yeah. being in communications or something. Yeah, I forgot the I forgot the question. Um, <laughs> no, you, you, <laughs> the, the you got it. The first part of the question was, uh, yeah, I did have another podcast. I, I It was called The Process. Um, no more new episodes, sorry. But uh, it was basically me interviewing high achievers in various fields, not niche down at all, but, uh, you know, famous authors, Olympic champions, um, just really amazing folks and distilling their process, how they improve, how they go about, you know, how does a world famous author go about creating on a daily basis and breaking that down and sharing that with the audience. That was the goal or the premise. And then um, I learned quickly that I didn't niche down enough uh, and I'm not famous. So hard to get an audience when you're, you don't start out famous and you don't niche down. So right. I killed that podcast, um, got back into poker and, uh, when the stars kind of aligned, I launched chasing poker greatness. Okay. Now, so wait a second. So you're, you're not famous because well, we can, we maybe should just end this right here. Cause I thought you were famous. Okay. Uh, I've sorry, been misinformed. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, sir. Sorry. <laughs> right. Well, I'm just glad that, you know, that we have Jim Reed muted right now because he'd be asking you questions about the process. And I, I want to thank you for clarifying that it's the process. Hey, Jim, <laughs> so you, you understand how the difference is there, but <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Steve, throwing that in. Yeah. So, so Brad, in addition to I mean, you playing, you've been playing for a number of years, you got the podcast, you're also doing some coaching and uh, what, what are some other things that you're involved with in the poker community? I don't know. I, I do. I have a weekly uh, poker. There's so many things right on a daily basis. It's like, you know, I, I need to, to play my thousand hands for me personally. I need to edit my podcast. I need to produce them. I need to post them. I need to I have a poker power hour every Wednesday, which is like a one hour study session with um, 
you know, with people that opt into my email list. Like there are just so many things. And then I have, you know, so many projects that are like, I want to get completed. I want to get started. And, um, you know, I have a course that's like 80% complete, but I'm, I'm, uh, Elliot Rowe would, would definitely break down some of my mindset issues when it comes to completing my course. But the reality is like, I want it to be good. I want it to be beneficial and I want it to be elegant, have elegant solutions for people to improve relatively, you know, to improve simply like that. This is the, this is the problem with creating poker training material is in a complex game of chaos. How do you distill it and make it and simplify it so that people can take action and implement it. And, uh, that's sort of the problem that I'm running into with my course. Like, frankly, it, I, I could, I could complete it in about two days and have it ready to go. But in my opinion, it's just not as easily consumable as I would like. And that that's holding me back. Yeah. So what, what would you say is your, uh, your favorite thing to do? And let's just assume that all things make the same amount of money or that their money is no object. Like in, you know, whether it's in poker or outside of poker, like what is, what is that thing that you just love doing? Whether it's, could be interviewing people, could be coaching, could be creating, you know, training materials. It could be playing. Like what is it? professional sense, right? Um, uh, well, let's, let's do professional. And then if you want to talk about personal, that that's cool too. Um, so in a professional sense, my favorite thing, if money was no object and everything was equal would be creating training content, um, breaking down hand histories with people whose opinions I respect and I know can provide value for my audience and also the interview process. I mean, just today, I've done two interviews already with folks and every time I, you know, every time I end the conversation, press the little exit meeting button, I get a jolt of adrenaline and dopamine and I'm just pumped, man. It's like, I just had an amazing conversation with an awesome human being. Like what better feeling is there in life? You know? And I think that's, if I could do something every single day, that's what I would do. I love it. I love it too. And I think that that fuels a lot of us that are on this show too, to have a somebody like you who I didn't know before poker and now come on and get to pick your brain. I think I, I'm the same way. I just, I'm in the candy store getting, getting to chat with all kinds of cool people. Now you mentioned, um, you know, kind of the hand breakdowns and stuff. So I want to, I want to bring Chris into the fold here. Chris is uh, our content lead and he's always coming up with these great hands that lead to these great discussions. And so I'm going to put all the pressure on you now, Chris, but uh, I know you have a hand that you wanted Brad to, to take a shot at giving some insight on. Yeah. Hi, Brad. Uh, oh. How's it going, Chris? Good, good. So uh, generally uh, what we try to do in, um, in this show is bring a hand either from some um, big tournament and talk about situations that rec players sort of find themselves in or a hand that actually one of a rec player in our community has uh, played. But this actually hand uh, comes from the main event, um, from this year's main event. But I think it's a hand that um, is really common situation that rec players find themselves in and struggle with. And um, I'd really be curious to have this conversation. So. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of context. This is the so this is the main event. We're day six. Uh, we're in the money. There's 82 left. Um, uh, current payout is 82,000, um, and there's actually a pay jump at the next elimination to 98,000. But of course, we probably don't care that much about that because there's 10 million up top. Um, so that's kind of the situation we're in. Um, blinds are at 50k, 100k, 100k. Um, and I'm going to reveal the names of the players later. They're both famous, but I think it might be more interesting to talk about uh, the situation in general, and we can talk about who they are at the end. Um, sure. two, so, oh, uh, go ahead. Two things uh, before we jump into the hand. Number one, um, <laughs> this is a so I'm a cash game player. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a I play almost all cash. So, I uh, you're asking a cash game player attorney question. But number two, I probably don't even know who they are. <laughs> they're famous okay, in the enough. world. Uh, if they're famous tournament players, um, I'm so out of the tournament world. Like I say on my show all the time, like I haven't watched the WSOP on ESPN. I'm a cord cutter, so I don't even have cable. Uh -huh. I haven't watched it in like 10 years. Um, tournament guys that, that come on my show, they get referred by other people. I mean, they're obviously amazing folks. It's just a different cash game and tournaments are such a different world. But, um, I, with all that being said, I'm, I, I think I can, uh, 
give some good feedback. Yeah, and I think you know the thing about um, the main event also is that um, although this situation we're we're deep into it, so we are getting shorter, um, but there are these tournaments that you know, play cash-ish because they are so deep. Um, but uh, anyway, I mean, in this in this situation, we are a little shorter, so we'll we'll cut you some slack. I, I would still say you're probably more of an expert than than the rest of us because we're all rec players here. But um, if it's I, on if it's on how to get like eight bets in with like eleven big blinds, I don't know. That, yeah. you're asking you're asking the wrong guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so w- what we are here is we're we're um, the player under the gun plus two. Um, again, we're at the fifty k, hundred k, hundred k level. Um, opens to 220k from a stack of 3 million so they have about 30 big blinds uh they kind of open a min raise open min raise plus open um and so we're going to take the perspective from the hijack um position so we're in the hijack this this one player has opened we have 3.8 million so about 38 big blinds and we look down at ace of hearts king of spades and okay. this is where I think the adventure begins for a lot of players. We're in this murky stack size kind of situation. We have too much to just open shove. Um, it's too strong of a hand to probably flat, but I mean, you could maybe make the case for flatting here. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about uh, Ace-King offsuit in this situation. I'll answer your question with a question. Yeah like I do with uh, with my students. So my question is, who are the other players at the table? Do we know anything about them? Are they super squeezy behind? Um, how aggressive is the field? Are there any table dynamics? Because number one, these dynamics, like who are the blinds, for instance? If the blinds are like super nits, then, you know, the, uh, you said it was undergone plus one, he's gonna be incentivized to open wider. So mm-hmm. our ace king, can be a better three bet candidate versus um, versus a table full of nits. If if the big blind small blind, maybe they have post flop tendencies or they're recreational players. Like all of these things are going to affect my decision. Who are the players behind? Maybe the button is ultra squeezy and they, they're sitting on like sixteen or seventeen bigs, and I want to manufacture a spot to induce a shove to get get in ace king dominated versus a shove. So like. Before I before I can make my decision, these are all sort of things I'm trying to observe, look at, and analyze. Um, so yeah, you, you may not have answers for those questions, but I'm kind of uh, <laughs> like going do, back. Go ahead. Oh, do I do have some answers to that? Um, so um, we are the two, there's one shorter stack at this table who has already folded, um, and the players behind us all cover us. First of all. Um, second of all, um, the there are it's a mix of what I would call well-known, really good pros and a couple of uh, kind of re- more recreational, uh, maybe less experienced players behind us. Um, so it's it's a real mix, but they all cover us. Most of them have about d- at least double our stack. There's, they're kind of all sitting on six to eight million in chips. Um, so we're sitting there um, sort of covered by the people still to play behind us. And I'm not dodging the question, but I got more questions. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> what's, what, what's my image, right? Like who, who's the guy that raids under the gun? Like are they prone to flat three bets? Are they prone to four bet? Are they prone to be super aggressive? Like if, if I've been folding for the last few hours or whatever it is, like maybe I have a, a tightish image. Um, and, you know, it, there's, there's just all these factors, I think, that because this is – Obviously, it's a major decision, right? There's this is probably um, if you lose, might be the most major decision that you ever make playing poker ever. Period. So you want as much information as you can about every single hand that you're playing, so that you can try to optimize these decisions. And so, like, whenever um, you know, I, like the, one thing, I, I, I'm gonna get on. A, I don't want to. Uh, derail the hand but once derail uh, away man let's go, yeah, this, go this, let's this, derail <laughs> I mean, i'll just interject i don't want to interrupt but like i mean the, the questions that you're asking these are the things that we're trying to learn as well you know not just what the answer is it's it's what's the process how are you thinking about this what are the questions that are emerging in your mind that some of us are going oh i didn't even think about that consideration so just just you kind of stream of consciousness saying here's the things i'm thinking about is super helpful at least to me and i think to, to a lot of our audience 
See, this is the problem, right? This is the problem with the course. You can't give somebody concrete answers for a situation because even if a situation looks the same, it can be very, very different. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I always, on my show, like, I, I'm always plugging Berkey's Solve for Why, but really what I'm plugging more than anything, not, you know, they have a great product. I love all the things that they do, but solving for why is like the essence of poker. Like, why are you making this decision? If you understand the why and you're good at deductive reasoning, you're good at collecting information and then using this information to make decisions at the poker table, this is the heart of being a fundamental great poker player. And you're not going to find like cookie cutter answers of like, look at this hand chart and raise in these positions and voila, magically you're, you know, you're a crusher in the games. That's just not how life works. And so my segue before I got on this current segue was, uh, you know, when my students, they come to me, they ask me a question. A lot of times I find they give me incomplete information, right? Like if they have the information that if they can answer the questions that I'm asking them, they would have reached a logical conclusion and would have been able to make a decision. So as a coach, you know, my job is to give these guys these questions that they can ask themselves to come to the correct answer. If I tell them what the correct answer is, well, that's great, but they don't learn anything. They can't do anything with that. So anyway, that's my, that, that was my little segue. Well, and I could, I mean, I can, I think I can answer some of the, the questions here. So to, as well, so the player who opened uh, I would say, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know exactly, but I, di I did watch um, several hours of this table play, and I've seen some of the dynamics at play here. Um, so I'm not in their heads; I don't know them exactly. But what I observed was that the uh, opener, uh, the under the gun plus two player, the opener, um, is a pretty uh, is an accomplished pro, um, really well respected in the world. Um, is very what I would call sticky, like somebody who um, will float a lot, who will stick around in hands a lot to see how their opponent reacts. Um, somebody who's likely, if I three bet here, to call a three bet, um, assuming you know parts of their range at least to sort of uh, see or even four bet me back. Um, and so that's what I think that player is. And in terms of our image as the hijack, I think we're seen as um, a very uh, potentially much more active player than what I would say at least uh, the general field is in a tournament that people play. This is a tournament where people play, I think, more sort of scared than they do in, in or more at least straightforward than they do in, in sort of some other um, spaces. So we're, we're definitely seen as somebody who is not afraid to put our chips in light. We're not um, somebody who's... Um, we're definitely one of the more active players at this table. Here's another consideration too. And like the funny thing about this is like, it's going to be hard for me to actually answer the right, the, the it's going to be hard for me to answer the actual question, but I'm trying to uh, kind of give my process. And so one thing to consider in a tournament setting where you only have one life, right? You got no extra lives. Um, this is a good player. Uh, I don't know who it is, but an accomplished player, a good player who's opening from early position, and now we're going to be three betting them. So, why are we going out of our way to three bet and attack this player, right? So, like, if we do three bet, which I am leaning towards three betting because of the aggressive overall dynamic, um, this is the first question that UTG plus one is going to ask. Why is he going out of his way to attack me? So, I think in that, he's not likely to go ham with four betting. Um, and I, I would think that like if he does flat, he's gonna have a pretty he's gonna have a pretty narrow range, and it's gonna be a pretty you know it's it's gonna be like uh, jacks tens, ace queen suited um, type of hands. I wouldn't think that he's gonna be just out there on some sort of flyer. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so. In action, should I tell you kind of how this hand progressed then from this no, no. point? I'll, okay. I'll say that I'll three bet just because I got nothing, uh, you know, there's no stakes for me. Well, three bet. Okay. 2.2x, okay. um, and uh, I don't even know what the standard three bet in the tournament is, but we'll say I'll probably go something like six, uh, 
3x, maybe 6.8, 6.8x, something like that. Okay. So in, in actuality, um, the hijack, us, uh, we three bet to 530k, so slightly smaller. It's actually a pretty small three bet, um, even from my understanding of what um, you might typically do in sort of a tournament setting at this point. But so it's a very, it's a small one, um, and under the gun plus two calls us. So um, we have 1.3 million in the pot, um, and the flop comes. Uh, again, we have Ace of Hearts, which may be somewhat important here, and King of Spades. Um, and the flop comes King of Hearts, Five of Clubs, Ten of Hearts, um, and under the gun plus two checks to us. Yeah, snap checking back. That this is so. This is actual. This is uh, a really interesting. That was my thought about this hand and where I thought this may have gone awry for um, for our hero in this uh, position. Not that I'm in any position to question somebody of this sort of caliber, but I thought the the in this position the the hijack does bet out, and I really thought that that seemed like a mistake to me. Tell me tell me why you said snap check back. I'm just not going to have a betting range on this board. You said it's king five deuce rainbow. Uh, it's king five deuce with two hearts. The oh, king two and hearts. the ten and are, are, are are sorry. It's king five ten and the king oh, and the king ten are hearts. Five, ten with the king, king five ten. Um, I still think I'm checking back. Like we have, yeah. I'm I'm just checking back range. I mean, there's so how much left do we have behind? Um, we got like two point five. So yeah, something like that. SPR is less than two. Um, villain can't have any high equity draws. They're almost never going to have queen jack suited. They're just, it's just not going to, they're just not going to have it because of our three bet. I mean, our three bet sizing screams we have, we're strong. Like, they're, we're not, we're not messing around. We're three betting small versus an early position razor. Like, we're trying to get action here. Uh, we're just not messing around. Um, so I wouldn't think that they have like queen jack suited. They're definitely going to have tens. Like, they're 100% going to have tens. Tens are going to give us a ton of action. They can't have ace queen of hearts, which is a hand that like we beat. I would rather not have the ace of hearts actually in this situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm just not gonna have a betting range in this spot because when villain shoves, uh, it's just not gonna be good for us. Even though it seems hard that we're, it seems hard to be beat, but it also seems like what are they shoving? Right. Right. Yeah, that uh, that's some some of my similar thinking here is I I was really thinking this was a was, this was a a board and a situation where we want um, an NSPR actually like had you mentioned where where it really makes a lot of sense to check back on this. Uh, another thing too that I that I failed to mention was like if we do check back, um, if villain did get out of line and I, like I, I think thinking in terms of absolutes in poker and saying like oh this is villain's range period. Who knows? Like I, sometimes, you know, guys can call super wide. They can do things that, that are unexpected. But like if they do have um, some sort of like ace jack of diamonds, right? Or ace queen of diamonds, right? A gutter, just a, a pure gutter. And they're like, okay, um, they try to blow us off our queens or our jacks by betting. Like we, we want to give them an opportunity to put money in the pot when they have a low equity hand. And so if we bet, they lose we lose that opportunity for them to put more money in when they just have a gutter and they have a really bad hand. So like checking back is sort of multi-purposed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I tend to agree, but in actuality uh, we, we bet out 485 K uh, and under the gun plus two calls us. Um, and the turn comes the Jack of diamonds. So we have a board of King of hearts, five of clubs, 10 of hearts, and Jack of Diamonds, and under the gun plus two checks to us again. There's 2.28 million in the pot. We have about, uh, we're about 1.8 million effective at this point. Um, any thoughts here? <laughs> uh, how are you with cursing on this podcast? What's the, <laughs> what's the, what's the word on cursing? My, my thoughts are um, F. I mean, yeah. we, we beat what we we beat absolutely nothing at this point like you know we maybe we beat uh ace jack that flatted out of position on the flop and turned a pair but like <laughs> we we really don't beat anything i'm i'm, I'm checking back again okay 
And um, yeah, I, that's another. This is another spot where where I was I was wondering. So I'll tell you what happens in in real life, and then we can talk about it. Uh, Please don't tell me they shoved. They shoved. Oh, that's um, bad. And so under the gun plus two uh, snap calls and has ace Pin. queen. Oh, ace queen. Okay. Um, and um, but. Uh, you know, I I was really thinking. I mean, this this the player who did this is is really good, and I'm I'm I was really trying to figure out this shove here in this spot. I mean, are we trying? Are we trying to push off? I guess that ace jack, and I, I you know I, I'm I'm really struggling to find um, find the what we're actually trying to accomplish with that. But let me let me create a, a scenario here for the audience that's listening. You know, you play cards. You live to play cards. It's your life. You're a pro. You're playing in the biggest tournament in the world for the biggest first prize. All the prestige, the fame, the glory. It's what you dream about. There's 80 people left. There are thousands when it starts. You can smell the finish line. You can see it. Think about the pressure that you feel in a situation like that. And think about you got to perform. You know, you, you got to perform. You can't make mistakes. But the pressure, and I don't care what anybody says, that pressure is going to get to almost anybody. And so my thought is that dude just messed up. He mm. played a bad. Mm. Mm. And I hope it's not a guest that comes on my podcast because I literally don't. Know <laughs> well, we'd we'd love we'd love to have either of these people on the podcast, uh, and they're they're both really solid. I mean, so I'll I'll tell you who they were. So I don't know if you the Thundergun plus two is Dario Sammartino, who finished second in the main event this year, uh, and then the hijack is Antonio Esfandiari, um, and um, they're you know both very prominent wildly successful you know millions of dollars in tournament earnings um between the two of them so and another thing that's like non-quantifiable and I, I will say that like in a vacuum i can't imagine antonio's play being good here and also can't imagine antonio feeling the pressure being a one drop champion and and all the success that he's had so maybe that goes out the window too but maybe there's some crazy dynamic that these two guys have, some metagame or past history that's coming into play on poker's biggest stage that nobody really knows about or nobody's seen before that that would come into play. But I just cannot imagine this. I can't imagine this being a good play. I'm actually a little bit surprised that Dario floated out of position with Ace Queen. Yeah, well, that's that was really the other question me. about this hand too. Is like, is is that float? with a just a gut shot there he has no hearts it's 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 i think ace of spades queen of diamonds i think he's got no hearts so he's got no backdoor hearts he's got no he's basically just got a gutter i mean that's it, an interesting float too if you think about it in terms of balance you know the the potential combinations of hands that both player can have like from a balance perspective dario does need to be flatting the flop with hands that are not middle set um, hands that are not super value. I don't know. I don't think he calls king queen pre, so I, I don't think he has that in his range. Um, but like he does need to flat it. If he flats with every combo of ace queen, then he's one hundred percent. He's calling too much. He doesn't have enough value in his range. So maybe the fact that he doesn't have a heart um, is maybe the fact that he doesn't have a heart is a uh, benefit in his mind because he can bluff at hearts on mm -hmm. some potential runouts. Um, but even still, like, given, you know, and again, we, we've talked about this hand for like 15 minutes now. They don't have the benefit of talking about a hand for 15 minutes and, and live play. But, like, he may be thinking he can rep hearts if a uh, heart peels off, even though he doesn't really have, like, any hearts in his range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Thanks. Any any thoughts, Steve or Jim, about this? Yeah, I, I got I got some questions. Let's let's take a quick break just to uh, just to let people know what a couple of quick things coming up, and then we'll come right back uh, with Brad because I'm dying to ask a couple of questions. Hey guys, late editing drop here for a new announcement. We are excited to announce that we have just added our social distancing series, online free Poker Stars home games every night starting Tuesday, March 17th through the end of March and then we will reassess. So this is gonna be run the same way we do our regular monthly home games, but people have asked for more free home games, so we're delivering that. 
Uh, it's not part of the player of the year thing. They're just standalone for fun. We will give away a bronze rec poker pin to everybody who wins a tournament, but mostly it's just fun. It's bragging rights. Uh, join us in the community and you can go to rec.poker slash home game and that gives you all the information on how to join the league if you haven't already as well as uh, how to go ahead and enter those tournaments so check that out email me steve at rec.poker if you have any questions also if you have any interest in joining us uh, on our growth team as an ambassador or affiliate or champion let me know about that as well thanks all right, running aces, running aces, player of the week. We have Kanat, Kanat, Ozturk, Dan Stewart, Peter Dwyer, and Dave Elke. This Dave Elke seems to be coming up quite a bit. He's yeah, that uh, guy's on fire. Kicking it. He's kicking it. Um, and uh, and Binks this week. We've had Cheyenne Bhattacharya. He completed the daily double last Monday at Canterbury. Uh, Cheyenne and also Roger Lamp wearing the sweatshirt got through a pot of gold qualifier. Rocky Wiley, sporting the new rec poker hat, took down the Sunday double stack. They're running ace. Great to see rec poker nation representing at the final tables and pinking. We got uh, two new ambassadors to welcome to the team. Officially, our new champion, Chad McVean from Niagara Falls, Ontario, one of my favorites, and another of my good buddies from the membership community here, Jamel Cuevas from Schenectady, New York. Thanks, guys, and welcome to you. Uh, for the home games, none other than our very own Taylor Moss, go for TJM, hey. won our uh, five-card draw event. So, uh, and... Steve was happy to know that he is, in fact, not Canadian. But we did and, have a Canadian the week before, so the streak is still alive. I want to be clear about that. This is true. This is true. I, Steve definitely needs to make sure, brush up on O Canada. <laughs> and uh, our next home game will be uh, on April 1st. No fooling. No fooling. Uh, and in terms of membership content, um, we're still uh, plugging away with our March content. It's opponent ranging and player typing. The seminar is now uh, out there. And then on March 25th, we've got the member Q&A at 8 p.m. Um, so if you're a member, uh, just go find that uh, link on the on the member site. Uh, we'll be having a, a live conversation, bring your questions. And then in April, we're getting ready um, to uh, have our seminar. The, the subject that month is going to be odds, uh, stack to pot ratio, and bet sizing. So we're, we're excited to pull that together as well. Uh, all right, uh, Brad, so we're, we're back. And this is fascinating. This is fantastic stuff because what we're always preaching to is it's thinking about the process. It's a logical approach to, to decision-making rather than, you know, sort of the micro teaching and memorization. So I love how you're thinking about this. My, my question for you is, it's not even about the strategy for me at this point. It's about how do you process this information? So, um, you know, when, when you're looking at this, it feels like sometimes it's so daunting for recreational players, myself included, because you've just listed off, you know, dozens of considerations and whether I even know about them or not, how do I process them? How do I give them the right amount of weight? Like, some considerations might lean you more toward folding, some might lean you more toward calling, some might lean you more toward raising. And so there's all of this stuff. And I'm kind of curious, how does your brain operate? Like, are you, is this, is this becoming like, does it become like second nature where you just kind of know you've played so much or do you have like a, a process that you actually follow or do you have like sort of default decisions and then all these other factors influence them away from that? Like, how are you actually processing all of this information? So if I had, if I had like just the, the magic bullet answer, yeah. um, I think number one, I'd probably break poker, <laughs> well, true. Break poker. but number two, I don't think it exists. Right. I think, I think it's reps, you know, it's deductive reasoning. It's time spent thinking deeply about this game that I love. I've played poker professionally for 16 years and, you know, to be honest, I, I've always been in love with the strategic aspect. I'm in love with learning and this is going to sound silly on top of, you know, all this whole conversation that I have, but when I'm making these decisions, what I typically trust is my gut and my instinct. And I do take, I, I do ask all these questions and I do have all these considerations, but the subconscious mind, my subconscious mm -hmm. mind takes all of it in, it analyzes it. And then it gives me a feeling, my intuition. What do I feel? Um, about this spot like do I feel gross do I feel good 
Um, and then, you know, you can obviously logically think about hand ranges and logically do some deductive reasoning. But like, first and foremost, um, is how, what does my intuition think about this spot? That's where I start. If I feel disgusted, like if I feel sick to my stomach, like when you told me the term was a jack, that made me sick. I didn't feel good about that jack. That jack is that, that's a death card. Um, so I trust that more than anything else. And I found that like, if I start, um, deviating from that feeling that's when i start getting myself in trouble that's when i start doing things like uh you know i i i'm on this this topic of the gut and intuition um i've had done multiple podcasts today <laughs> podcast interviews <laughs> and we've talked about malcolm gladwell blink oh sure and we've talked about uh you know there's a hand that garrett played um on live at the bike where garrett folds 10-7 on like jack 8-9 um xx versus andy and he's got queen 10 and it's like, you know, these guys that have honed their instincts, you know, Garrett is not asking all those questions in his head. That's not what's going on there. Garrett feels disgusted. Like when Andy bets the river there, Garrett feels disgusted and he feels like Andy has a range of queen 10 period. And that's why he's able to fold the second nuts. And you can quantify it afterwards. You can break it down, um, ask all these questions, write them out. But like, that's pretty inefficient, right? It's much more efficient to listen to your internal instinct. And so the real question, I guess, is how do you build that up? How do you build right. that intuition? How do you get to that point? And I, I don't know 100% the answer. All I have is my path and what I did. And my path is obsession. You know, th this is, these questions that I, that I just asked, you know, this is not something that is new for me. Even when I first started playing cards, um, me and my friend, we'd go on the boat, uh, played on a cruise to nowhere. That's how I started in the live realm. And we would ask a hundred questions to each other. Like, oh, what if he had this hand? What if he had this hand? What would we do here? What would, like, what about this sizing? How do you like this sizing? Um, and he was obsessed just like me. He wanted to, he wanted to be the best player in the world. I was not so ambitious as that, but I wanted to be the best player I was capable of becoming. And that curiosity of asking these questions, being obsessive, having somebody as a sounding board to give you feedback. Um, not just anybody, not just some dude on the street, but having somebody that genuinely, you know, my podcast is Chasing Poker Greatness. You find somebody that's chasing poker greatness and you're chasing poker greatness, link up with them. That's the fastest path to success playing cards that you can take. You just got to find those people. I love it. I know that that reminds me of, uh, you know, when we were speaking with Fedor Holtz and what he talked about and, you know, finding his group of people that were all chasing poker greatness. And I know you've talked to Fedor as well and kind of got that same idea where they all just keep cranking, they keep cranking, they keep going after it. And it, it seems like, you know, what, what you're saying too is, is one of our tenants, which is really trying to learn the game of community. For some people are really, you know, can, can learn the game by themselves, but this idea of finding the right people to bounce ideas off of, learn from each other, be transparent about how you play and uh, be willing to, uh, to accept feedback, but this this curiosity thing, I always come back to that as well. Just being curious, asking questions, uh, what ifs. I think that is a that is a huge insight because what I wanted to get at was, uh, in lieu of all the reps, you know, we have different audiences. You know, our audience uh, is is almost exclusively recreational players and even less experienced recreational players who are looking at this, going, all right, you know, I play at the bar once or twice a week. I want to become as good as I can, and I know there's no substitute for reps, but what can I do in my five hours a week of playing that'll help me become a better player? And so I don't know if you can address that a little bit, because I know the answer is, you know, play more, study more. But for, for those of us who aren't in a situation right now in our life uh, situation, I guess, uh, that can't, we can't do that. What would you advise for folks like that to try to improve their game who have this limited time and budget? So it's, it's difficult. And I'm going to no. give something give something away uh, from my course that I've been working on. One of the the elegant solutions that I've come up with, managed to come up with, is you know poker. Like I said, poker is a game of people. You got to understand people. You got to understand incentive. You need to understand what drives decision making and what players um, are trying to get you to do. And so, uh, part of my course is logic, deductive reasoning, and a question that I came up with that I, I'm calling the focusing question. Um, is given the information that my opponent has, what are they incentivized to do? What action are they incentivized to take? And so just based on this simple logical question, you, 
because you need to understand like most of the time if you're playing in a bar poker league players are going to be incentivized by two things what are they um <laughs> uh, just having fun is, is one <laughs> yeah, of their big yeah. incentives and you their know hand. probably the, putting a bad beat on people right the, the strength <laughs> the, the pure strength of their hand the two cards in front of them those are the two things sure okay like that's going to incentivize their actions if they have aces under the gun they're going to raise if they have do seven they're going to fold period without taking anything else into consideration and so you need to understand people and like when it comes to like ranging hands and thinking logically like what's this guy trying to accomplish what's this girl trying to accomplish what when i when they bet three quarters pot last time what was their next action did they check fold what did they do when they bet 25 percent pot did they did they go ahead and pot the turn like you need to find out people's patterns because people fall into patterns all the time and no matter what they say or, or what they might think we're not even aware of ourselves falling into patterns but like if somebody is betting pot when they have a strong hand and they're betting 25 percent when they have a weak hand just pay attention put that pattern together and say oh okay this dude's betting 25 percent pot when they're weak therefore I don't care what cards I have, I'm going to raise that 25% pot bet. And if they bet full pot in a spot where I have a pretty strong hand, then you just fold it. Like, you know, it's, it's just adapting and learning to the patterns of specific players, which, you know, kind of goes back to my earlier point of like, a student will come to me with a spot and they'll, they'll give me just like a straight hand history and be like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. Who's this person? <laughs> what are they thinking? What have you witnessed? What have yeah. you observed? Are they on tilt? Like, how do they structure their bets? Like, what patterns do they have? You know, this is fundamentally, you know, this this is the heart of poker. Oh, man, that's, that's so good. It's so, so good. I think for a lot of the rec players, that's daunting. But I think the, the point is, let's start somewhere. And I think this idea of saying uh, exactly what you said, you know, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, if, you're, if your answer is, I don't know, well, then that's where you start to figure out, well, how do I figure out what they're trying to accomplish? And that's where you're saying, well, watch watch their, their patterns are. Everybody, everybody listening right now, just take a second and just verbally express this. It's okay to be wrong. Hmm. We're, we're playing a game that is chaotic by nature. Most, we're not gonna, we're gonna have a low level of certainty in a lot of decisions that we make. I have a low level of certainty in a lot of decisions that I make every single day. And I try to play a thousand hands a day of cash game. And you just move forward. Like you're trying to, when you seek perfection in poker, you'll always fall short. You'll never attain it. And a lot of times, you know, you get this idea that, oh, I played perfectly. I got my money mm. good every single time. And like, no, you didn't. Stop it. Like nobody <laughs> plays, like, you know, Phil Ivey on record it says, I've never played a perfect session. Yeah, nobody plays a perfect session. Nobody plays a perfect tournament. Like, you know, get comfortable in the knowledge that you don't know everything. Be, be comfortable saying, I don't know right student comes to me with a question i don't know if i don't know the answer i'll tell them i don't know the answer let's investigate it let's mm. think about this somebody you know if a player that i respect who's in my network says brad like if i'm confident that i played a hand well i tell it to him and he's like brad i don't like that line i don't like what you did there i'm not going to say i'm not going to get entrenched in my view and try to be combative i'm going to say okay cool like let's look into this maybe i can change my opinion right like in an argument between two people um who wins an argument right like you know whether whatever it is um the person that ultimately wins at the end of the debate or the argument is the person who changes their view because they learned something they grew from this debate they grew from this interaction the other person already knew it right they didn't learn anything new they didn't grow so I try to try to come at it from that perspective of like, I'm okay with changing my thought process. I'm okay with changing my opinion. Um, when somebody gives me feedback that differs from my own, great. This is a learning opportunity. And in poker, in poker, it's amazing how certain people can be, and so certain in fact that like, I can I can look at a hand and tell somebody point blank, hundred percent, this is wrong. I know this is bad, and they'll fight me tooth and nail till the end of the world trying to justify the hand and i'm i'm you know i'm like dude i'm telling you this is just not good like what, what and like those guys if you're like that in poker you have no hope you have no hope of becoming a winning player ever 
because you're not coachable, you're not teachable. And poker, you know, I, I, I want to, <laughs> it, I know that it, it's easy for somebody listening to this to maybe get discouraged about the complexity of poker, but that's the point. It's not easy, it's hard, there's chaos. And if it were easy, then nobody would be playing it. You know, there would be no high roller tournaments. There would be no super high cash games because it would be solved. There'd be no online poker because bots, you just stick a bot in there and they'd make great decisions, right? The bots have to take into account the human element. And that is hard as hell for a bot, even with artificial intelligence to implement in real time. And so, you know, if you think about it in that way, like, embrace the complexity embrace the fact that this game is hard understand you don't know everything and like from a starting point that's where i would start um as a poker player uh, i love it i believe this is what you refer to as a greatness bomb on your on your show right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i'm not I, I i'm not uh not gonna call anything that i ever say a greatness bomb i think that's <laughs> <laughs> well i think it was i think it was i think it was tremendous insight uh, I think it was really tremendous insight. I think that's super helpful for people to hear that. And I, I, I love that. Just just call it what it is. It's hard. It's complex. But that should be exciting. That should be the, the, the great adventure of sort of working into, you know, the, the complexity and seeing what we can discover. Uh, that should be something that engages us uh, more than turns us away. I've played millions of hands, and I, I'm still learning. I still yeah. do sims. I still node lock. I still talk to my friends. I still learn. Like, you know... <laughs> When you like look at the available options, right? You raise pre, somebody calls, and then you have uh, a bajillion different type flops, and then on top of that, you have a bajillion different turns, and then a bajillion different rivers, and you know the formations are different. People can bet any amount that they want. Like they can bet one fourth pot, they can bet one half pot, they can just two x pot, they can shove. Like you know, there's when you take into account all of the complexity, like. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm 15 years in, I still learn things. I mean, how boring would it be to be involved in this game this long, have it all figured out and just, you know, monotonously clicking buttons. I mean, it, it's uh, mentally stimulating even to this day. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're, we're, we're running out of time here, Brad. So what I want to do is wrap up and but give you an opportunity to talk about where, where can people find you? I know there's people listening right now that are saying, all right, I need to connect with this dude. I need to, to, to learn more from this guy, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, EnhanceYourEdge.com. On Twitter, I'm at EnhanceYourEdge, Chasing Poker Greatness podcast across the board. All of those places, Brad at EnhanceYourEdge.com. Pretty easy peasy to contact me. All right. We'll for sure put yourself in our show notes too. So if people didn't hear that or didn't catch it, uh, they can find you. But yeah, Enhance Your Edge, the, the podcast is Chasing Poker Greatness. Brad, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you stopping by the Rec Poker Podcast and hanging out with us for a while. Yeah, my pleasure too, man. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, thanks to Brad Wilson. Thanks to uh, to Chris and to Jim. Next week, we got Ian Matakis jumping on here. Uh, we're going to close off here. We're going to stay tuned here. for We've got some announcements after the fact here. But for all wait, intents wait, wait. and purposes, we are done with the show uh, for right one... now. So have a great week on and off the felt. Have one more question. Oh, what yes. Jim do? What did Jim do? J Jim disappeared. I think. <laughs> what, did, what does he do? He's, he didn't say anything the whole thing. So here, he's just he's, sitting there. He's off his head. It looks like he went home. Looks like he drove home. That's what he did when he was on. Is that I what happened? I was listening very carefully and driving very safely at the same time. <laughs> well, the okay. internet connection I know is a little sketchy, so it's, I know you're kind of avoiding uh, that piece of it. Jim's normally one of our, our chatty guys, you know, but yeah, I figured he was driving or something. So. He must have been super intimidated by you, Brad. I'm guessing that's probably what It was happened. just too much good content to interrupt with my drivel, Brad. You were driving it home. <laughs> Next time I get you on here, though, I do want to talk about some differences between tournament play and cash play because I really want to pick your brain on that. That would be really good for a lot of our members. And me personally, I'm selfishly interested. So let's get you back on here sometime soon. Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Well, Brad, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll be in touch. My pleasure. All right. Take care. All right, Chris, Jim, uh, we'll chat with you guys later. Welcome to the announcements section for the Rec Poker Podcast. You're going to hear all about our free stuff, how you can support us, the products available for purchase, products from our affiliates, how to connect further, and how to reach us. There are five main ways to engage for free. You can play our Poker Stars home games the first and second Wednesday of every month at 8 o'clock Central Time. 
You can join us on Discord for all kinds of great conversation and virtual railing. We have the Facebook group that's always open for discussion. You can follow us on Twitter at RecPoker, where we have all kinds of cool stuff posted and we keep you keep you up to speed on everything going on. And you can join our email list to get our weekly newsletter, Twerp, this week in Rec Poker. There are also five ways that you can support us. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month, and it'll give you a chance to sit in on the podcast. You can like, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you hear the podcast. You can share, retweet, comment on Facebook and Twitter. You can rep the brand. We got merchandise available. And most of all, you can let other people know about us. There are five main Rec Poker products currently available to purchase. You can get a membership for $10 a month or $100 a year to get access to all of our content and our other discussions. You can join the Bar League community, which is $300 a year, but only $100 a year if you join by March 31st. You can become part of the Home Game community, which is $100 a year, but only $40 a year if you join by March 31st. You can submit videos for analysis by your choice of coaches, or you can get personal one-on-one coaching with your choice of coaches. We are currently building up our affiliate program, and right now we are an affiliate for Learn Pro Poker. You can use our code and get some discounts and special deals. Go to rec.poker and look for Learn Pro Poker. If you want to connect further and engage more deeply, you can do so by becoming an ambassador, by representing Rec Poker in a specific area. You can become an affiliate, which helps spread the word and sell products. You can become a champion, where you promote the brand, you wear the merch, you're active on social media, and you have a chance to refer products for a commission. Or you can be just a friend of Rec Poker and help us spread the word that way. You can also become a sponsor of the podcast, some of our events, or all things Rec Poker. There's several ways that you can reach out to contact us if you need to. Rec.Poker, Discord, email newsletter, Twerp, Facebook, Twitter. But you can get all the information at Rec.Poker or just email me, Steve, at Rec.Poker. Thanks once again to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, who has supported us since episode number one. Also thanks to Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. Make it a great week, everybody. 